Good morning. I was um, getting carried away talking with David, and I didn't realize that he's now moved uh, and actually is a neighbor in the Williamson building, so hopefully we'll get a chance to talk more uh, and not take up time from Grand Rounds. Um, I'm introducing because uh, Keith is driving to Concord, I hope, safely with the weather. Um, you guys are really fortunate um, today because you have two of the thought leaders in this area in pediatrics. Uh, Dr. David Goodman is, has been increasingly involved uh, at the TDI, and he's made his academic career looking at variation in delivery of health care. I would say initially looking at sort of describing it, and then more recently looking at how to change it. Is that, is that fair? Um, David um, has a, a distinguished career. I first met David, uh, I think, in 1981 when he finished his uh, residency at Johns Hopkins and I think through the National Health Service Corps took a position up in Colebrook providing general pediatric care. And so I uh, got to know David from uh, the phone calls about intensive care uh, babies. And I, I, I hope that had some uh, influence on one of his areas of focus has been looking at uh, a rational uh, uh, system of providing neonatal care in the country, which I would tell you is not at all rational. <laughs> um, and he's uh, got uh, substantial funding to begin to look at some projects to try to change that. Uh, Dr. Sean Ralston, is a Texan who um, we were fortunate after she also went through a uh, sort of a similar path of providing uh, primary care and then going back into academics and the field of hospital medicine, which is probably the newest of the subspecialties of pediatrics recognized as a real subspecialty. You know, a lot, a lot of us uh, in the room started in subspecialties when they weren't recognized subspecialties. And Sean uh, in hospital medicine is one of the leaders um, in trying to define it as a subspecialty. And um, I think a real accomplishment is being the founder and editor-in-chief of the Journal of Hospital Medicine that's now listed in the Index Medicus and a peer-reviewed journal. Um, She's now doing a master's course at TDI. Is that you're done? Uh, <laughs> and she and David together are going to talk about uh, children with medical complexity in northern New England. Is more care better? And I'm pretty sure that the answer to that is no. <laughs> okay, you can all go home. Bill gave it away. Uh, um, yeah, um, so, so it's true. David and I were both um, National Health Service Corps scholars. David up on the Canadian border, and um, I was in El Paso, Texas, on the Mexican border. So we are uh, we are the, the international uh, inter team on this. Um, all right, uh, this is a little bit of a bait and switch because uh, mostly I'm going to talk, but uh, but um, David lends a little gravitas to the whole thing. So. <laughs> So what we're going to try to do here is um, specifically related to work on the Children's Atlas of, uh, of, for Northern New England, but, um, but I'm going to start with a definition of children with medical complexity because this is a hot topic in pediatrics right now. Um, it, it's an area, um, it's obviously a hot topic, uh, not children with medical complexity, but people with medical complexity is a, a significantly Im, Im, important topic in healthcare in general to this hospital in particular. Um, and so we're going to talk about the subset that are that are children. Um, for those of you who haven't seen it, the um, Dartmouth Atlas of uh, Children's Healthcare in Northern New England was uh, published a couple of years ago now, um, and uh, um, I had the privilege of working with David and the team that worked on this, uh, and I'm very excited. You can access this at the TDI website, um, so it's open, uh, free, anybody wants to, to look at patterns of utilization in the states of uh, Maine, Vermont, and uh, New Hampshire, you please uh, feel free to do that. This is uh, acknowledging the team of people that 
worked on this project, um, one of whom, uh, well, other than David and I, is here, uh, Dr. Sam House, yeah, and maybe a couple of others. I know that Wade uh, Harrison, who's one of uh, our medical students graduating this year, significant contributor to this work that we're going to do, couldn't be here today because he's interviewing for residencies, but, uh, but I want to give a shout out to Wade because Wade, uh, Wade is awesome. So the Pediatric Atlas looks at four years of northern New England all-payer claims data. Um, th this, uh, you know, is something that sounds kind of boring when you say all-payer claims data, and maybe you're, you're all like, why is this important? Well, it's actually fairly unusual in the United States to have a complete population-based picture of healthcare utilization. Uh, you know, you, a lot of the papers you see will be, oh, Tennessee Medicaid or um, um, Kaiser Northern California, and these are fragmented pictures of the healthcare of the population, and so, you know, potentially there is selection bias in who happens to be, uh, you know, insured by Kaiser or who happens to be insured by Medicaid. The beauty of this uh, sample is that it is the more or less the entirety of the population with uh, with a few gaps. And David worked super hard to, to get this, and this is you know fairly unusual. And certainly, I think his career of working with Medicare, you know, um, is partially not because he loves old people, but <laughs> okay. <laughs> David says he loves old people, but uh, uh, um, but but it was it's partly because the data is there. So so this is a beautiful thing to to have done, and 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 not easy. Um, this. It involves about uh, 700,000 children in northern New England region. This was 2010. This changes a little bit for each year. This is four years of data. Um, 69 hospital service areas and 30 pediatric surgical service areas. This is sort of the chunks that this is divided into when you look at utilization. And um, I'm not going to go into the methodology for that, but that, that's sort of what Dartmouth does. And if you don't understand it, um, go to the TDI website. <laughs> so um, some interesting facts is about 40% of the population in each of the states really is Medicaid insured. About 5% is insured. This varies slightly, you know, uh, uh, um, but... What varies a little more is 9 to 16% are living in poverty. Um, uh, the highest rate was in Maine, I believe. Uh, yeah. So we're going to talk about variation. And, um, uh, and again, uh, you're all at Dartmouth, so I'm going to assume that you've heard a little bit about this. But, uh, but, but, but variation is certainly our stock and trade. Um, <clears throat> what do we mean by variation? You know, um, and, and I want to be clear that um, variation does not imply uh, um, that, you know, um, the, uh, potentially, we're going to talk about you know, more care versus less care. Finding variation and finding more care doesn't mean that more care is worse. You know, uh, um, potentially variation is related to our, uh, you know, uptake of effective care. You know, m essentially things change over time and potentially higher utilization could indicate better uptake of more effective care. Uh, variation in preference-sensitive care. So patients matter. Um, I know we forget this as doctors, but uh, <laughs> patients actually um, have preferences about um, interventions, you know, potentially about surgeries. You know, we see this a little less in pediatrics than we do in potentially um, um, elective surgical procedures in, in, in uh, older adults, but, but it exists in pediatrics. And then there's the variation that, that um, we are... We, that I'm most interested in personally, I will, I will leave the we out of this, um, <clears throat> but a variation um, in supply-sensitive care. This is the, the, the sort of if you build it, they will come uh, uh, issue. And, and you know, this, is, this is something that I think we've all got some experience with, so it's a desire to um, smooth occupancy in a hospital, desire to be able to have uh, um, consistent you know, ratios of nursing care, desire to utilize that brand new expensive scanner, desire to utilize that brand new expensive uh, uh, piece of, of medication. So there are sort of unconscious pressures in medicine um, that um, Dartmouth, um, uh, you know, the, the research you know, beginning with Jack Weinberg has really pointed out. So that's sort of a classification of, of variation. And I'm not going to, I'm going to show you some variation, but I'm not necessarily going to tell you which of these categories it, it fits into. Um, I think that we don't know that yet. Children with medical complexity, um, uh, important population in the U.S. Um, certainly, they make up a small population of, of uh, in the hospital, but um, about 40% of hospital expenditures. There's a good deal of literature on this now. So um, they're the hot spotters, you know, the the super utilizers. You know, you'll hear those words. You'll hear it in adult medicine as well. Um, and there is a lot of interest in attempts to actively manage this population. You know, um, uh, to sort of because if a patient with a tracheostomy and a ventilator shows up 
in um, the emergency room at Cottage Hospital, um, you can guess that they're going to get admitted, right? <laughs> so, uh, um, so, so there is interest in sort of um, uh, managing, better managing these, these cares, these children's care. This is typically coming from academic medical centers, and most of what has been published about this looks at the care of these patients um, surround, as a population that clusters in a particular academic medical center. Um, you know, so you can imagine that there's a lot of bias in those samples. You know, um, who, who is identified as hot at a particular time, who gets into that um, clinic, and then who, when the care is looked at, and whether or not, you know, the, the care is better once they get into a specialty clinic, those are all questions that I don't think are particularly well answered by hospital-specific, you know, um, clinics. You know, so um, that's what this paper um, is essentially about. Um, you know, what we wanted to do was look at a population-based um, uh, um, picture of utilization in this patient population. The beauty of having the all-payer claims database is that we are capable of looking at inpatient and outpatient, you know, um, care. Um, many, in many cases, hospitals and, and complex care clinics can only look at their particular version of utilization. And so if that child receives care at a community hospital several times, it's, it's invisible, you know. Uh, and again, this is Maine, Vermont, and New Hampshire. This is a four-year period, um, and, uh, and, and you know, so it's a, a population-based picture. Um, how do you define uh, children with medical complexity? This is an eye test. I, I hope you can all see it. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, I know you can't see this, um, but um, actually the definition of children with medical complexity is a huge issue, and, and, and um, probably took us a year you know, to, <laughs> to get right with this. I'm serious. I'm not kidding. This definitely took a year. So this is a set of codes that was originally developed by Chris Futner. At, um, at CHOP, and, um, uh, and it basically is a set of codes that sort of predict medical complexity. It's been used in a lot of settings, and, and inpatient, um, you know, mostly, and attempted to be validated. And um, this is the, the, the code that we used with some modifications based on how, um, how it performed in our own um, setting because it wasn't perfect. There are alternative definitions now. There is a um, pediatric medical complexity algorithm that Rita Mangione-Smith uh, developed in uh, in Seattle that is much simpler, um, you know. And um, and so, uh, but there, there there's sort of if you want to compare our um, patient population to other studies that are available, essentially we felt that using this um, set of codes was 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 important because they're the ones that are in the literature right now. Um, we did ha need to exclude certain things in our region because they were not available uni universally. So solid organ and bone marrow transplant, you know, are not evenly distributed, obviously, um, uh, across the northern New England region. Um, uh, complex congenital heart disease repairs are not evenly distributed. Um, you know, um, and um, hospitals with less than 500 children with medical complexity um, assigned to them also were excluded just because the sample size was small. Um, so um, this is the distribution of, um, of, of hospital or of medical specialty services. And again, these aren't all hospital. These are um, outpatient. Um, and these are the hospitals that had enough patients to be included in our, uh, um, I think it's fairly obvious, um, uh, which is the freestanding children's hospital. Um, obviously, uh, this is Boston, the only, <laughs> the only one in the region. Um, um, hospital B, C, and D are the um, academic medical centers, you know, in northern New England, one, one per state. And then hospital... Um, um, uh, um, e and F are larger community hospitals that had enough patients uh, and provided the, enough services. But you can see that the community hospitals or regional hospitals um, don't provide the full complement of pediatric subspecialty services. However, the um, children's hospitals within a hospital um, pretty much do. You know, so the goal of this population in this study was to look um, at what was evenly distributed and readily available um, for this patient population in each of these hospitals. So a, a note about pediatric care, and I think uh, um, I think basically uh, um, we 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 sort of know this. We all know this that um, not all pediatric care is delivered in children's hospitals. Um, um, actually, 28% um, uh, of pediatric care is delivered in freestanding children's hospitals, and so the rest of it um, sort of gets ignored in a lot of cases. Um, it often uh, doesn't get studied, and it often uh, is, uh, and especially in the regional hospital or community hospital setting, um, is uh, is ignored. Also, there um, um, you know because uh, the care is fragmented and because children don't receive um, um, hospital-based or specialty care quite as often as adults, um, often our denominator is so small that it's exceptionally difficult to study the, the patterns of care. 
Um, so these are, this is another eye test. Um, these are the characteristics of the children with medical complexity um, in northern New England by um, the cohort assigned to each of the, each hospitals. And again, I want to emphasize that they're assigned to a hospital, but they're also, um, their outpatient care in that, in that medical um, setting is also looked at. Um, the, the point of this is not necessarily for you to look at each of those and, and, and um, uh, read them. The point of this is that um, each of these things was, a, um, was an area for adjustment. Um, so, so obviously they differ, right? I mean, you know, there's, a, there's no way that each of these hospitals had a subset of children that had exactly the same characteristics. Um, clearly they differ. They differ in, you know, in, in many things, and in, in a few things they don't. Um, but but all, this is the basis for the adjustments that we made on the population. So if you're, when I you know, get to the results, when I show you variation, if your first you know, thought is, oh, well, this patient population had more X. Yes, it did, and we adjusted for that. <laughs> uh, so uh, um, again, we, uh, one thing I would like to point out is that um, the qualifying diagnosis was, um, was subcategorized into neuromuscular, cardiovascular, respiratory, malignancy, congenital anomalies, or the other. You know, um, so we also adjusted by that. You know, so if you, if you look at this and you say, oh, well, we have more patients with neurologic disease, um, it's, there, it's been adjusted for, you know, the, 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 the patient population. Um, this, these are localization indices. So these are how well the, the patients um, that we assign to each hospital, you know, that we're going to talk about variation in care related to that, that hospital system, how well those patients actually tracked to that hospital. You know, so uh, um, again, this is part of the methods of, of, of the ATLAS and understanding that um, what we're looking at is population-based utilization. You know, we're not looking at the specific hospital. Um, and, we, we, and so some of the care that is attributed to the hospital didn't happen at the hospital. You know, uh, um, again, smoothed out over the population, this doesn't tend to matter. Um, but this is how well um, it, it did. You can see that for hospital admissions, we had tremendous, uh, um, you know, uh, correlation with, uh, with the hospital assignment. So the only hospital that was less than 90% um, was Hospital A. And that's the hospital that has the largest distance. Um, for the office visits, it's also really fairly high. The emergency um, department visits are not as high. And I think um, what this indicates, um, again, is distance. And you can see that for Hospital A and Hospital C in particular, um, there, you know, some of the emergency department utilization um, occurred outside of the assigned hospital. Uh, and, and again, this, this is distance. OK, results. So um, what we looked at was a subset of utilization um, for, um, uh, you know, so this is hospital utilization, inpatient days, ICU days, office visits, and ED visits. Um, we also looked at testing and imaging, which I'll, I'll go through. And, um, and, and ultimately, um, to understand this, what you, what, what you need to do is um, um, understand that the hospital that is um, in the center line is the referent. You know, this, and, and every, the utilization of everyone else is in relationship to the referent. Yeah. This just gives you a sense. And what we're looking for here is, is patterns. You know, we're just looking to sort of understand this. We certainly expected there to be a variation. We adjusted for all the, the known things that could explain variation. And so then we're, you know, we're looking for patterns here. Um, and I think that um, I'm going to help you see the patterns. <laughs> um, so what we see is, um, uh, you know, le less clustering for things like, e uh, less um, spread, I'm sorry, less variation, more clustering around the referent for things like ED and office visits. You know, um, so, um, you know, you can rest assured that the ED visits are less discretionary, or, or potentially, that's the interpretation here. Um, people use the emergency, this cohort of patients use the emergency department fairly similarly in each of the assigned hospitals. I think that's pretty, I mean, it's pretty impressive. It makes me feel like we did a good job. <laughs> um, and let me tell you, if you spend two years doing this, you really want to feel like you did a good job. Uh, um, um, but, but you're also going to notice that there's significant, um, there's, there's much more variation um, in what may be more discretionary utilization, which is inpatient days and ICU days. Um, you can see the referent, though, is the same in, in each of those. So that this hospital, you know, which um, is Hospital D, you know, ha is it turned out to be the referent for inpatient days and ICU days. So in their cohort of these medically complex patients, you know, they uh, um, they didn't they didn't deviate necessarily. You know, they didn't utilize ICU days more than. And you can also see that the hospital that's a, that's the freestanding Children's Hospital had higher utilization. Yes, certainly we tried to control for the severity that likely tracks to the freestanding Children's Hospital. But I, I think that this probably demonstrates that we didn't control for it completely. You know, this patient population probably was, was sicker. You know, um, I'll give you that. 
Um, there, this is a, the other children's hospital within a children's hospital in the New England region that also um, tracks together inpatient and ICU days. And, Do you account for interfacility transfer, or is there not enough of that to matter? This is not enough. Yeah. Um, and then we have a hospital that that, that actually um, deviates pretty dramatically. Um, uh, so, so you'll see, you know, it, it, w they, they have inpatient days that are similar to the other um, children's hospitals within a children's hospital, but ICU days that are that are significantly higher. So that's the kind of pattern we're looking at. You know, we're looking for local medical cultures. You know, and, and we're we're asking the question of why, why do you see this? You know, and I don't know the answer to that, but I'm 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 just there to point it out. So uh, this is a result on the imaging utilization. So we, um, you know, again, we're choosing things that are relatively frequently used. Chest x-rays, abdominal x-rays, um, CTs of chest and abdomen, head CT and head MRI. And then we're going to look for patterns, you know, in, in this. Um, what you see is, t again, tighter clustering around the plane films. You know, you see people the, the clustering around the referent for the plane films, which suggest less variation in the utilization of things like chest X-ray and abdominal X-ray, just like we saw less variation around the utilization of the emergency department. Um, uh, and, and again, th this is probably rational. You know, there's not a lot of it, when there's an indication for a chest X-ray as physicians, we pretty much agree on it. You know, um, and so so I think that's interesting. Um, you, you do see a little more variation clustering around the probably more discretionary things. And then you look for patterns within the hospitals. So what you see here is a hospital that happens to do more head CTs than head MRIs. Yeah, um, so you're looking. So then you're asking yourself questions about, huh, you know, um, are, are they, is this variation in, in, in improvements in care. You know, we know now with Image Gently that uh, um, exposure to radiation early in life is potentially dangerous to children. Um, and, and so you've seen, we've seen a move away from head CTs towards head MRIs. You know, is, is this a hospital that has failed to get that message? Um, and then you see another hospital with the opposite pattern. You know, um, a, a hospital that's doing more head MRIs than head CTs. And so maybe, maybe this hospital has gotten the message, you know, and, and is doing, uh, this is variation in, in effective care. And then you've got a hospital that's doing, uh, that's the referent for all of them, which is a community hospital. Um, um, so then you could ask yourself, uh, you know, why, why, do, why do these hospitals that deviate, deviate um, clearly in the opposite pattern? And potentially it's, a, it's an area for study. You could go to these hospitals and sort of find out the, the, the patterns. And uh, this is another hospital that has uh, relatively low utilization in a, in a community setting. And then you may ask yourself um, uh, questions about access to care, you know, um, the availability of MRI. And this is a, uh, the selected testing, and this is, a, this is the last set of utilization that we used, and then we're going to sort of explore what do you do with this data. So these are electrocardiograms, echocardiograms, renal ultrasounds, and EEGs. Um, uh, these basically were chosen because they're easily trackable and there were enough of the, of the studies to, um, to, to look at. Um, so you may suspect that electrocardiogram and echocardiogram track together. Um, you notice that Hospital A, which again is the freestanding children's hospital, utilizes these at a higher rate. Again, I think that's evidence that we didn't completely, um, you know, control for the, the selection of the hospital by the diagnosis. Absolutely there. So, you know, feel free to, to notice that. Um, uh, um, th then we have things like uh, a, a renal ultrasound and EEG, and then we're looking at patterns of a hospital that isn't the freestanding children's hospital, but that appears to utilize these things you know, at a significantly higher rate than even the freestanding children's hospital. You know, that's a little weird, uh, you know, on some level. You're, you're, you're going to ask yourself, huh, what is it about this hospital, you know, in, in imaging that, uh, that stands out? Um, then you look at another hospital that utilizes all of these things at relatively low rates. You know, uh, so uh, this is, this is a, a community hospital. You, it may be access. You know, they, they may not, you know, have the availability for, for these tests. Um, Oh, sorry, uh, that was it. Um, or uh, it may be, uh, you know, that they really are a more judicious user of, uh, uh, of testing. So, so then the questions raised, and, uh, and I'm going to bring some of these result slides back up as we, as we talk about the questions raised. Um, I, I think in, what, what are the questions raised by 
the absence of or the the absence of variation or the narrowness of variation in office visits and ED visits versus inpatient and ICU days. Um, you know, as a person who commits inpatient days, so to speak, <laughs> um, I have to ask whether all of my hospitalization choices are necessary. You know, um, I, I, I certainly see that other hospitals use that service less frequently maybe than, than I do. I happen to know who all these hospitals are, and we're going to tell you, don't worry. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but uh, you know, certainly it could be, re could be related to differences in the patient population, absolutely. <laughs> We did our best to control for this. And again, if you, you know, at the end, when people ask questions, they can ask us again, did you control for X? And you know, we, can, we can turn back to the, to the differences that we control for. Um, however, I think we have to admit that um, ICU care is, is probably supply sensitive. Um, and, you know, it's highly unlikely to be sensitive to patient preference. You know, um, uh, or, you know, although, you know, I, I know everyone's going to be like, oh, well, that mother will never leave the ICU. You know, that, that's an, we remember those cases, but on a population basis, that's unlikely to, to be the thing that's having the, the impact. So, so, so again, um, I, I think then you ask yourself, well, what is the supply of ICU beds in each of um, the, the hospitals that we're going to discuss this? And I can tell you that it's very different. <laughs> it's very different. Um, and uh, and we'll, uh, we'll sort of leave that for, for discuss. Oh, yeah. Only, or does it include NICU? Uh, um, I, ICU included. No, it didn't NICU. Yeah, um, we we actually excluded um, the um, some of the neonatal stuff because it gets it gets a little messy. Very little, yeah. Very little perinatal. Uh, and um, most of the patients, you know, the patients are medically complex, so they often don't get labeled as medically complex in in the early setting. Um, so, so again, this is this is your picture of the medical encounters. Um, just just um, so you know, anybody want to guess um, which hospital um, is um, is the hospital that shows the the, the pattern that's somewhat uh, deviation and variation? And 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 you, uh, you don't have to if you don't want to. It's it's obviously us, right? Um, uh, yeah. So so we and we have a lot of empty ICU beds. I think um, you know compared to Maine and uh, Burlington. Um, so uh, if, if the Huh? How of many beds. ICU beds do we have yeah. here versus Maine? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so so that, 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 this is during the four-year period. So Burlington, during this four-year period, actually only had three pick beds designated for PICU. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, and, uh, and I think that we can't say that um, they necessarily had less sick patients than we did. And again, we're trying to control for this. So, so, so and, and this is not, um, I want to be really clear that this is not a criticism of us as physicians. You know, this, this is an attempt to um, understand how the availability of services drives our behavior. You know, um, uh, maybe some of the patients who weren't in the PICU in Burlington needed to be in the PICU, right? Uh, um, and maybe some of the patients in Maine, um, Maine actually had, um, uh, um, uh, I think most, I think they had eight designated beds during this time period. Um, now there was the ability to put patients in the adult ICUs, you know, in um, in uh, Burlington and Maine as well, which we d sort of have here, but we never really uh, that, that that we don't we can't deter that you would still pick up that care as ICU care. You wouldn't, but but again, this is a question of um, uh, is this a demonstrating a pattern of supply sensitive care? Basically, that's the the, the question. Um, so what about the tighter clustering for rates of plain films versus the wide variation in CT and MRI? Um, <clears throat> certainly, again, as I've said, that this could be related to differences in adoption of effective care. There really ought to be a declining rate of CT usage in pediatrics, and, um, and it's well documented in the literature now, especially on head CTs, and I'm sure that you guys um, have at least um, seen a few of the papers in pediatrics recently that showed declining use of head CTs. Um, but it could also be indicative of supply-sensitive care, you know? Um, uh, maybe there are too many MRIs in, in some places, um, and maybe there are not enough MRIs in other places. You know, um, I, I don't think we, we can answer that question. Um, the uh, questions raised by um, uh, the, the costly interventions like head MRIs and ICU days, you want to ask yourself, do these things track together? You know, is there a hospital that seems to have a pattern of very low utilization, and what could we, what could we learn from that hospital versus is there a hospital that might have a pattern of higher utilization? So I'm going to tell you that the, the, the hospital that has a pattern of very low utilization for inpatient days, office visits, and ED visits, also has a low rate of head MRI utilization, and it's Burlington. Yeah, um, so, so maybe there's something we could learn from, from, uh, uh, from Fletcher in pediatrics. Um, and um, I can tell you that, uh, you know, obviously our pattern is one of higher utilization, um, including head MRI. Uh, and um, that, that's, we're, we're, we're red and we're the triangle. Um, so we, we utilize expensive um, tests 
um, somewhat higher. Now, again, as I've said, that could indicate that we have a, um, a higher um, adoption rate for effective care. You know. Um, that also, since that could be highly sensitive to just one or two individuals. And well, not on a population basis, Dan. I mean, th this is not this is not one or two uh, tests that, that drive this. And this and the rate. If you want to look at the rate, I haven't gotten into numbers, but we're talking twice the the population based rate. Well, but if if there's one neurosurgeon in that community that wants to get an MRI, because they didn't have a neurosurgeon in Burlington. Yeah, the lower numbers you're talking about physician numbers. Yeah. That, yes. That <laughs> yes, practice patterns depending upon the organization can be. Uh, can be driven by one or two. I mean, you've, you've shown that in other studies. Well, and I think we're, we're showing that here with our EEG utilization rates. You know, um, uh, uh, we, we very much are. We, uh, I think that that's not necessarily, um, I mean, that, well, that, my suggestion would be it's driven by, you know, a small number of physicians' practice patterns. Um, so now the question is what might we do with this uh, information? And David is going to tackle that because I'm sure you guys are going to have tons of questions. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it uh, let me just pull up, let's see if I can do this. The worst moment of a talk is trying to get the slides working. Um, I mean, Burlington was interesting. Burlington, for this population, clearly just admits their patients less frequently. They spend... They're less likely to be in the hospital. They spend fewer days in the hospital, fewer days in the ICU. Um, I, you know, they didn't know that before they saw the results of this, you know. They thought they were delivering care just like everybody else, just like we think that we're delivering care like everybody else. Uh, and I would bet that if we got our medical staffs together, we would all be thinking that we're doing the same thing. Um, because studies of sort of the micro-experience of clinicians uh, and connected to sort of the macro epidemiology show that it is impossible at a grand level to discern the different style of practice that you might be engaged in. It's just not apparent. Um, so what I'm going to do, I want to take a step back and come back to this population-based um, experience that we showed in the atlas. And here now is effective care for the children living in the Lebanon hospital service area, irrespective of whether they get their care, their predominantly primary care, at DHMC or Alice Peck Day or, or wherever. Okay? And this quality um, dartboard has HEDIS measures, so they're accredited measures. Unfortunately, this is kind of the limit of, of these sort of measures we have for pediatrics. Uh, and for a particular measure like asthma medication, I'll just pick that, just by coincidence, um, we have 90 to 100 percent compliance. Now, it's a pretty bad quality measure, so I don't think we have a lot to be proud of just on the basis of, of this. URI testing, right in there, this is now an 80 to 90, this is 90 to 100 percent, 80 to 90, 60 to 80, 30 to 60 is, is a steeper slope out here. But you can see that lead screening, not so good. This is lead screening in the Medicaid population. Now, pharyngitis testing, adolescent healthcare, and every region has their distinctive pattern of effective care. In terms of utilization, this shows all of the hospital service areas in northern New England with different types of utilization from prescription fills, chest x-rays, medical discharges, offices. It's all the way over to CT scans, tonsillectomies, and mental illness discharges. And these are ordered according to the extent of variation. Not variation explained by chance, but systematic variation. And, you know, and oftentimes this is interpreted, and it's a broad generalization, that there is a greater professional consensus, typically better evidence for, particular, for the delivery of services with lower, util lower variation, and as there's greater professional uncertainty, one tends to see greater variation. Now, there's a lot of other factors that lead to more or less variation as well. Tonsillectomies, since the late 1980s, take my word for it, it's one of the first things I studied here, but we have been, in our hospital service area, on the high side, either very high or on the high side. And uh, 
because this is not the first time that, that a slide like this has been presented. Head CT scans, just like we saw with medically medical complex children. The population experience, of course, what population gets a lot of head CT scans are medically complex children, but the population experience is that we are relatively low in terms of head CT scans. Head MRIs. So you see all of the hospital service areas, and then in red are the regions that are listed on the left. You can see we're 11 and 6. We are really high, both at a population level and for children with medical complexity. Prescription fills for antidepressants. I mean, should we at least have a discussion about this? Do we screen more? I don't know. Do we screen more? <laughs> Antipsychotics? No. You know, we're kind of in the middle. Although well, Burlington, Vermont is down here. You know, and that is just between us and Burlington, Vermont is a huge difference. population, you know, and Susan has been t teaching us that for years, okay, and so here's the influence of, you know, of a, of a practitioner. With, but this is with, you know, also a practitioner with intent, okay, a lot of the patterns we see, I would describe, and, you know, for good or for bad, are not by design, they're by accident, okay, they're, they're, they're just, you know, they, they've evolved slowly over time. This happens to be, I believe, with, with intent. All right, so what, so, so I've been here for too many years. <laughs> I'm not going to say how many years. And uh, I've been doing work of this kind for almost as long as I've been here. And initially, my initial work, actually, I was studying northern New England, and I was studying um, inpatient care, just hospitalization, and did a bunch of studies about pediatric as well as adult studies. And so in the early 1990s, there were patterns of care about related to children in their hospital use that on the face of it were as kind of intriguing at least as some of these studies here. And, you know, and they were presented and, and discussed, and, and we kind of moved on. And the interesting, and that's true in pediatrics in general. So pediatrics, you know, has had a history of, of you know, studies appearing, being published, um, everything in terms of newborn care, neonatal intensive care, inpatient care, and, and academic careers, grow and people get promoted. I would say that, that the good part of the study of variation has been that it has stimulated a technical quality movement. That is, the intense interest in improving technical quality of care, particularly once children are admitted to the hospital. Vermont Oxford Network is probably the, you know, the very best example of that of neonatal intensive care, and they've done marvelous work. There has been relatively little attention to these broader decisions about care. Do we get a CT scan or not? Patient come into the hospital or not? ICU use or not? Neonatal intensive care, even, admission or not? In the adult world, and particularly in the Medicare world, that has been a very um, active area of both inquiry and improvement. Not just, you know, how good is the care for a 85-year-old woman who comes in with congestive heart failure, but 
are high rates of women with congestive heart failure coming to the hospital the best care that can be delivered. There are other ways that that care can be delivered. And we really have not engaged in that uh, generally in pediatrics. We have an opportunity, though, to begin to engage in that because we have information like this. And our hospital, in particular, has very specific and unique information. What are the barriers for us having those conversations? Part of it is just the way that organizations, I think, are set up. You know, and, and also that it is, it's difficult, the conversations are difficult because some of these practice patterns reflect a small number of clinicians. And we're not used to having conversations about how we're practicing for our common population, our common patient population. So, you know, we are naturally specialized and fragmented, which is very effective for certain aspects of care and really problematic in terms of bringing it all together. So the way, so the model that has been used in some places, and it's, and it's I think it's obvious on the face of it, but it's worth, I think, restating, is first to, you know, identify, I mean, there are some problems, some which we can deal with, others that we can't. This is an issue, and it's important to get on, out on the table that, that we are all under, a, work within a particular environment of financial and professional incentives that encourage more utilization. And that can be good, okay, but, but the direction is, is in, the, the, the incentive is in that direction, okay? We're not, we're not rewarded for doing less, which might be good or bad. We're all aware that we are rewarded, essentially, for, for doing more. And, I mean, if there's ever a time for there to be discussions in pediatrics in relationship to Dartmouth-Hitchcock about the perverse incentive, particularly in pediatrics, this is probably a good time to do that. If there are types of care of which we are delivering too much, That means we're just losing more and more money, which is, which is a, you know, which is a, a terrible double sort of insult. One to the patient, one to the public purse and private purse and all that. If there are domains of care where we're delivering too little, well, you know, we should be investing in that sort of care. And we should be making sure that our organization is contracting with insurance companies, with payers in ways that allow us to deliver the best sort of care. We need to have a system of not just health surveillance, but healthcare surveillance. We surveil, we do surveillance for health, right, on a regular basis in this country and the region because it's important, right? And that's how you improve health, and part of it is to actually measure it. We have the technical ability now to have ongoing surveillance of health care of our patient population. But it doesn't come for free. It doesn't just happen by itself. There's no CDC of health care. We just happen to be, you know, to have an institute that has extraordinary expertise in doing this right here. So we could do this. We could do this sort of surveillance and have ongoing information and novel information, because you would have a dozen questions, important questions, about patterns of care that could, that could be added on and, and could be investigated and understood. And ultimately, with much greater inference than the sort of descriptive studies that we're showing. So information is the beginning, but it's not the end. Then we need to think about how we engage in inquiry and when it's appropriate, system improvement. But inquiry is the first step, and I think that that's what we really, we should think about doing. Um, we don't have any mechanism for this. You know, if, if, if something bad happens in the ward, related to safety, 
We have all, mad, you know, all sort of energy and resources to engage in that and, and, and to decide whether there needed, needs to be a remedy and at what level and with whom and what systems. Okay? But these ongoing patterns of care, we have no mechanism really for, for just having conversations and inquiry amongst ourselves to think about it. Sean and I certainly don't have the answer in terms of which rate is right or what this should lead to, but I think that these results raise legitimate questions that, that we are obligated to engage in at a, at a department and a chat level. Part of the difficulty is the fragmentation. So it is you know, it's a cross-section. Some sections are more of medicine than they are of pediatrics. Some sections are, that are involved are entirely out of what we think of pediatrics, right? And, you know, I don't come to Grand Round, certainly. Okay, they're not in this room. And, and that's not a criticism. You wouldn't expect that they would be here. But we don't have any other forum um, for that sort of discussion. Safety and technical quality is really important, okay? And, and this is not to be a criticism of those efforts. But I think that we have an opportunity to go beyond that. Um, you know, ultimately, technical quality is more than a HEDIS measure. It's not only making sure that the treatment or the diagnostic task is done properly, but that it's done on the right patient. And that's, I think, what some of this is about. So um, let me stop there, and then Sean will answer all of your questions. By being the moderator, I get to ask a question without being called on. Um, so, um, having served on the board and, and gone to section chiefs meetings and everything, one of the really um, annoying things is that utilization of things like CAT scans and MRIs are plotted as an indicator of our financial health, uh, meaning that um, more is better, as you've already pointed out. How do we get to a point where we say appropriate use is better instead of more is better? You want, you want to answer that question? <laughs> I'll try. Um, so, so I think the first step in this, or the biggest problem we have, is, um, is um, we don't have a way to measure unnecessary care. Like, I mean, you know, how, how do I mean, I, I have a way to talk about variation. I have a way to say, I suspect some of the care I personally deliver is unnecessary care. I, you know, I, I suffer moral distress for it personally, you know, um, but 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 I don't know how to define which of it is unnecessary care. And I think because all of our quality metrics are related to underuse, you know, vaccination or related to misuse, you know, poor outcomes, but there are almost no quality metrics related to overuse. How do you, me how do you talk about it when you don't measure it? You know, that's, that's my first problem. And, and, and so, I mean, and the dilemma, you know, at the organizational level um, is, Uh, you know, I think there are a couple of aspects that, that make it sort of easier for pediatrics to approach that than, say, on, on the adult services, keeping in mind that, that you know, increasingly the contracting that's occurring at Dartmouth-Hitchcock with, within, with the plans, um, there's shared risk and shared savings. Now, it's still the minority, but, um, but you know, so the ACO model and other models where we accept some of that risk is obviously the opportunity for aligning incentives um, with, with better care. In pediatrics, you know, we're unlikely to be, you know, it, you know rationalizing our care is unlikely to be a financial threat to, to this organization. And, and in fact, there's more opportunity, really, for financial savings, you know, if, if it's 
throughout all of these domains of care because, you know, because of the way they count the pennies, we lose a lot of money, right? We lose a lot of money. You know, it's ironic, we're driven by RVUs and yet, you know, probably every RVU we generate, we lose money in, in this sort of accounting system. <laughs> okay. Yeah, let's hear some. Yeah. I see. Can I, I'll defer to Dan, and then I'll go next. <laughs> the, uh, I, I want to address the pattern of ICU utilization. I can't imagine why you'd be a yeah. <laughs> and, and the interpretation, the implication seems to be that some people overutilize it, some people underutilize it. Uh, but the reasons may be having nothing to do with the thought process of a clinician admitting a patient to the PICU. And this is particularly true of patients with complex medical needs. So, for example, in some institutions, one of which we're very familiar with, respiratory care is not sufficient to supply certain things that those kids really need on the floor. So they go to the PICU. And in another institution, the respiratory therapy department is adequate or, or, or sufficient to supply those frequent respiratory treatments or trait care or whatever it may be on, on the floor. So those kids don't go to the ICU. So the ICU is sort of a passive uh, actor in this entire process, and it really has to do with respiratory care. Monitoring, it may have to do with the nursing service. How many nurses are available to do an insulin infusion on the floor? So kids in one institution may go to the PICU because the nurses refuse to do an insulin infusion on the floor. In another institution, that's standard practice. So no doubt that, that there's a hundred stories, thousand stories behind these patterns of care. But you know, at the local level, is often <clears throat> typically there's explanations for why care is delivered in a certain way. I I I I accept that. I don't think that there's, um, I don't think that it's uh, by accident. Uh, some it's by accident. Uh, I think that there's lots of different uh, actors, if you will, who are involved in it. It's not just the attending who is. You know, the determinant of the rate. Um, it's not necessarily always just a service that's a determinant of the rate. But except that, my interest is that we have a mechanism of looking at patterns and information that's available now and having discussions about how to deliver the best care. So you've already raised, and I don't know, you haven't taken up the a stance in terms of whether the care ought to be one way or the other, which is a perfectly reasonable place to start. But the fact that there is apparently such differences in terms of the outcome of utilization, or utilization outcomes, would, would indicate that there are other places that are doing it much differently. It'd be interesting to find out how, what their story is. And it's also very helpful as we engage in leadership that determines those capacity issues, like the capability of, of nursing, the capability of respiratory therapy, to show that you know for all of the agency being up on Chad for what we lose, you know, in terms of money, that you know there are places that, on the face of it, do deliver care more efficiently and maybe just as good quality. And here are the barriers that we have in terms of getting that way. And here's what we could accomplish. And, and I think that, you know, you know, I think that in, in many instances, um, patient experience is, is better with less intense care. Not always, but, but often sometimes. Most of them. So, I mean, obviously the big piece that we're missing is outcomes, which are super messy. So what we want to know is, Who's having a better life? So, who's having a better life? The kids with fewer MRIs. I mean, the, there's all there's some outcomes data in adults. So I think of the that whole study that looked at the variation in cabbages, but looked at 
equal outcomes. Like they, these adults with cardiac, with uh, vascular disease, lived the same amount, you know, died the same amount, had the same quality metrics, and had highly, highly variable amounts of invasive procedures. But we don't have those outcomes in kids, and it's and it be, but there's also a huge body of data in both pediatrics and adults that doing things the same is better, no matter what right is or no matter what wrong is. So I think we all understand the value of, of minimizing variation, um, but then we get paralyzed by what's the right way to do it. Um, although we all sort of believe that limiting, maybe we all don't, but <laughs> many of us believe that limiting variation is probably best. That, yes, exactly. Some of us are probably doing things too little and some of us are doing them too much. But what is the right spot? Is the right spot down here towards little or is it up here towards much in each individual piece of care? Well, Sean, I mean, just generally, is, is there any uh, outcomes studies to show either family preferences or, or outcomes related to sort of varying intensities of care for medically complex children? So, so, so there's work ongoing by Rita Mae Jones Smith, you know, this is her area, and uh, on, uh, um, to evaluate quality of life in children, and, you know, and, and, and particularly in medically complex children, but they want to use this work across all hospitalized children to sort of assess if more is better, exactly. You know, that's not finished yet, um, I think. But there's also, I think, um, at least um, a, an available chunk of literature, particularly related to intensive care. You know, um, um, David Wilson's, or Doug Wilson's uh, stuff on uh, that, you know, the more you get in the ICU for respiratory, um, the, the less sick you are. You know, <laughs> you know when you're in, so th there's all kinds of interesting stuff out there that shows, you know, not so much um, th th that you can say less is better, um, but less is better when more is not. You know, I, mean, I think that's, that's, I mean, I want to be really clear because often people interpret this message as, you know, um, less is more. But less is only more when more is not. You know, um, and, and I think, but I mean, I think we can establish that more is not. I mean, um, certainly across the adult population, my suspicion is that it will not be in pediatrics. Um, uh, but again, what we're talking about is the incentives all push you towards more, right? I mean, you could, you know, some of this information for our populations is not that difficult to get in terms, for example, of family preferences. I mean, this is, you know, we're unlikely to assess outcomes on the basis of mortality, which is very easy, you know, even easy and convenient in Medicare populations, for example. So these are generally, you know, patient, inpatient days, you know, I don't know what services think that how in, in an aggregate, how much that's related to mortality of patients or life expectancy of patients with cystic fibrosis or uh, patients with malignancies or neuromuscular disorders. One, you know, I think that the patterns of care themselves would probably would, would challenge that. We know, for example, that across freestanding children's hospital, that inpatient day usage for oncology patients varies tremendously. And it would be hard to assert that that, you know, that certainly no one has, has raised, no one has asserted that that's related to mortality or for survivorship of, of oncology patients. So, there's a little, so family preferences, I think, are really key in this. And focus groups, a bit understanding better about sites of care and styles of care and such, might provide some, some information. Now, of course, they're quite modified by where you get your care. If you get your care up in Burlington, Vermont, families' expectations of good care <laughs> may be very different than if it's here or if you were at Boston Children's, right? So we, you know, it's a little tricky to shape it, but, but I think we're remiss not to have some of that information. Uh, we're going to have to cut it short. Uh, one last question. You've been you were one of the first to raise your hand. And thank you. For oh, so thank you. For, uh, have people looked at intra-institutional variation? Pushing Dan's question a little bit farther, it's quite broad, and I would assume that that's less well published because of the political consequences of looking at an institution's uh, individual providers and seeing high surgery uh, surgeons and low surgery surgeons, et cetera. Well, I think it comes out, well, I think at a population level, um, rare, although there are you know, perhaps some instances, that it's useful to assign responsibility to individual 
are part of systems of care, and our means of improvement are through systems of care. So there's a, you know, as, as a framework, it's, I think we're useful to think of the, the system. Now, when uh, a study group examines a pattern of care within organizations, then very quickly it is evident, and the question arises, you know, about different practitioners within a particular service take care of patients very differently, and why is that? Right? I mean, I would imagine that cardiologists cardiolo here have different practice styles, certainly pediatricology, there's some different practice styles, um, and, you know, and only Lynn can talk about the different practice styles over the years of uh, pediatric pulmonologists. Um, so those discussions, I think, come up when you sit down and have a conversation, and it can be really valuable um, uh, for the group in all sorts of ways to think about whether they're acting as an effective system within their own section. I think I hear people outside. So all right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.